0: Welcome to Learning Otherwise, I'm your host, Udi Mandel. Learning Otherwise makes Audible a silent learning revolution happening all around the world, offering stories and tools of hope, imagination and possibility in a time of multiple crises. What might learning look like if it were at the service of a diverse ecologies, cultures, economies, spiritualities, And life in our planetary home. Learning otherwise is a journey to explore this question. Through conversations with leading practitioners and thinkers reimagining learning and education, this series will make audible the silent revolution happening all around the world in higher education and beyond. These conversations take us to experiments in learning that are emerging from indigenous communities, social and ecological movements, and other sites of innovation, including universities, colleges, and schools. This series is created through the EcoVersities Alliance, a translocal community of over 100 transformative learning spaces from around the world, who have been meeting and collaborating since 2015. The EcoVersities Alliance is a community of learning practitioners committed to reimagining higher education to cultivate human and ecological flourishing in response to the critical challenges of our times. Today's episode is an offering from the Archives. It is part of a series of conversations in the Enliven Learning Project, which took place between 2012 and 2013, and was one of the forerunners igniting the EcoVersities Alliance. Enliven Learning has also resulted in a series of films on transformative places of higher education. In this podcast, we talked to Vandana Shiva, a world-renowned leader and activist in the environmental and food sovereignty movement and in the struggle against biopiracy and corporate globalization. Vandana is perhaps best known for her activism work in the areas protecting biodiversity and supporting local farmers in India. To this end, she founded Navdanya in the early 1990s, a network of seed keepers and organic producers spread across 22 states in India. This network has set up community seed banks across India, training farmers in seed sovereignty, food sovereignty and sustainable agriculture. Navdanya also operates an ongoing and experimental learning centre called Bija Vidyapith, or School of the Seed or Earth University. This is a model farm that promotes biodiversity conservation, knowledge diversity and organic agriculture in Doon Valley in North India. It is here where we met Vandana Shiva, and saw firsthand the work of Navdanya in seed conservation and in promoting the regeneration of local and indigenous knowledge, and the conversation of such knowledge with global science. For instance, whereas the knowledge of local farmers and a grandmother's university is promoted, so is the knowledge of soil scientists, who are given the opportunity to learn from each other. In this conversation, Vandana talks about a lesser-known part of her work, which relates to questions raised in this podcast series. Mainly, the role of higher education in reproducing our contemporary crisis and the possibilities of other ways of learning. Vandana talks about the struggle against what she calls the monoculture of the mind and the universalisms and logics that are foundational within mainstream universities. Counter to this monoculture of the mind, Vandana proposes other ways of learning practiced in Navdanya where life and nature are the teachers and where different knowledges are continuously put into conversation with each other. This has been very much the aspiration of the Ecoversities Alliance too. This interview took place in the mango orchard at Navdanya in 2013 where Kelly Timmy, and myself sat with Vandana amidst the sounds of other creatures who also contributed to the conversation.
1: Vandana Shiva, born here in Dune Valley. And I left and traveled the world to do my studies, my PhD on the foundations of quantum theory. And in 82, I returned to my valley uh, to, to do studies for the Ministry of Environment to stop the mining in these hills. And our study stopped the mining. Supreme Court order that when commerce destroys life, commerce has to stop because life must carry on and it was the first legal case That ruled for ecological continuity and I realized then that um, You know, there's just that much of a life one has and there's that much of a brain one has and uh, It's far more important to dedicate it to um, to service of the earth and service of community. The Research Foundation for Science, Technology, and Ecology was started as a result of that, as a participatory action research movement. And we stopped many destructive activities. And then it came to the patenting of seed. And I was invited to a conference in 87 where the companies talked about how they were going to genetically engineer crops to claim patents. And they were going to do this through the World Trade Organization, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, to impose laws on patenting across the world. I've given my life for the protection of the integrity of species and their diversity. And I just felt uh, we had to protect life in its freedom. And so I decided to start saving seeds. And over time, started this farm where we save seeds more than A 1,000 varieties of crops, 670 varieties of rice, nine kinds of mango species. Um, And this is just a little bit of the diversity that uh, this land, India, has had. Over time, organically, a school grew out of the biodiversity conservation and the ecological farm. And uh, we call the school both Pijvidyapi, the school of the seed, and the Earth University. Um, and it, it's re- literally like plants have grown and seeds have grown. Uh, this place of learning has grown on its own. It's like a spontaneous emergence. <laughs> okay.
2: um, did you, I guess I was going to ask about just, and I, I asked a little bit about this yesterday, why... Why you decided to call a university and not just a school or not just a center? Why you decided to use that term?
1: Well, actually my preferred term would be multiversity. Hmm. But the world would get so confused by that uh, because multiversity means multiple streams of learning. After all, every culture has thrown up its own learning. Hmm. And the idea of university makes it look like learning only came from the West, even though very often it was transplanted from the Indian world, the Chinese world, the Arab world, and then became an invention out there. And that carries on in modern times, where biodiversity has become the center of building the new economy. And a chemical society cannot overnight learn about every plant, every seed, everything it does. So the only thing they can do is steal and pirate. And so they pirate the knowledge of Neem as a pest control agent. And I have to fight that case for 11 years. To have the patent struck down or this beautiful valley which is the home of basmati the original basmati the uh, queen of aroma Um, a company in texas patented that and an ancient wheat which has low gluten was patented by monsanto 1500 patents have been taken for climate resilient traits in crops evolved by nature and farmers so biopiracy is the new version of multiple knowledge streams being appropriated by one, being called a university, one, and then transplanted back in chemical form or toxic form or GMO form. Why do I call the Earth University the Earth University? First, because people view the university as a place of higher learning. And we view learning in this place as a place of higher learning, higher learning from nature. Nature is not dead matter. The most significant thing we have to unlearn is the stupidity of the Cartesian mechanical revolution. That nature is dead, just inert matter. And we have to kill the idea by burning churches, by destroying cultures, that Earth is living. The best of science today teaches us that Earth is living. It isn't a myth, it isn't a superstition, it is the fact of the way the Earth is. She's alive, she's self organized. And that's why the Gaia hypothesis. Hmm. Just reaffirming ancient beliefs. The second higher learning is that monocultures are a highly crude way of relating to the earth. I have called it the monoculture of the mind. Most universities that have come out of the industrial revolution only teach monoculture of the mind. Can you give me an example? Well, the monoculture of the mind is soya across Argentina. Mm. Chop down the Amazon, grow soya. There are only two crops that feed the world, rice and wheat, no, 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 no. We need Mm. the turmeric, we need the ginger, we need the millets, we need the greens, we need the fruits, we need the vegetables, we need the pulses, we need all of that. Mm. That was made to disappear. The monoculture of the mind disappeared diversity, just like in Argentina. During the dictatorship, people disappeared and it was the mothers of the disappeared who led the revolution to say, bring our children back. And here at the Earth University, we say, bring the diversity back. Bring the children of the diverse species back that are being made to disappear. The third higher learning is the higher learning of what potential we have as human beings. Just like the crudest way of relating to biodiversity is to reduce biodiversity to a monoculture, the crudest way to live as human beings is to reduce ourselves to being consumers. And everything, whether it is those who sell, all the MBAs are high-cost training to be sellers of cheap and rubbish commodities. (laughs) That's what it is. So if all we are is consumers, then that's fine. But we are not just consumers, we are more, we are creators, we are producers, we have that capacity. We are co-creators with nature. We are co-producers with nature. And that is our higher self. Building that consciousness that I called consciousness of earth democracy, of being part of the earth family, of the web of life. The consciousness of our responsibilities as earth citizens. The consciousness that from those responsibilities flow rights. And therefore we have a duty to say to Monsanto, sorry, the seeds are not your invention. They are ours to be shared. And shared with the future too. So these higher learnings are what this place invites
2: people to engage in. Okay. Thank you. Do you want to... I I can follow up, but do you want to ask anything? No, you can follow. up. Um, so I think linked with that, we were we read a book um, about six months ago called Beyond the Modern University by a guy out of Arizona, you know, Northern Arizona University, P- Peter Ford, who makes the argument that the university is the main culprit with the ecological, social, economic crises we face today, and and how most of the leaders in the world are going through the system themselves. So I, I wanted to ask you a bit to comment on that. And also, I guess, generally just the role of the university today, um, for yeah. better and for worse.
1: Well, the first thing is uh, that uh, you know, there's an amazing initiative from Malaysia, from a wonderful man called Mr Idris Muhammad Idris, who um, started the Consumer Association of Penang as a deconsumer movement, uh, started the Third World Network, and now he has started the multi-university initiative. And it's, it's wonderful learning for all of us when we hear the Arabs talk of what Arab civilization has been. Because today, it only made to look seers and sunnis, Saddam, Iran, and it's being demonized, the sources of so much of the interface, between the East and the West, because it was the Arab world that was the interface. The so reclaiming those multiple trends is definitely part of what has to be corrected from the university as a monolith. Second thing that has to be corrected from the university as a monolith is it, it treats human beings just like it has treated the earth. That. Uh, you know those that limestone in the mountain performing its living function of providing water, which is what we protected. It was treated as non-existent, but the limestone pulled out by, by, with violence, crushed up and turned into cement, crushed up and turned into chemicals. That that's what its value was, and in effect, what the university is doing today is taking human beings with different potentials, different yearnings, different capacities churning them up. And out comes minds of mechanical thinking. Minds of uniform thinking. Minds, if they are still creative, are made to look dysfunctional. And treated with violence. And I know around me are some of the most creative young people. All of them misfits in the university system. Each and every one couldn't deal with it. It was torture. And you give them a piece of creative work and they are brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So the university, in fact, is crushing the intellectual potential of humanity. Even though the university grew out of rebelling against the scholastic system of the church and monasteries reproducing themselves as centers of power, Today, the university has become the center of intellectual reproduction of a system that has become ecocidal and genocidal. Ecocidal because it is forcing everyone to engage in ecocide. The privileged and the rich through the rape of nature, the not privileged through participating in the deadening consumption patterns that the rich create, in order to make profits, by us stopping to do what we do, stopping to grow our food and buy junk food, Mm -hmm. stopping to save our seeds and buy GMO seeds, stopping to live in community and buy every service. Mm -hmm. It is also, in a very sad way, dumbing humanity down. I work, I work across the world and I work across the divides and the intelligence of an ordinary peasant left to themselves. The fact that they can respond, we've had these floods, we've had these disasters and people are busy pulling out the plows as we are on the farm right now, planting again. Um, Because we've been made to A, think the world is a mechanical artifact and that our minds are mechanical things. We are being forced to close our minds to our abilities to think differently and make a mind shift. And that's what's needed so desperately, Mm -hmm. which is why the shift will come from open learning places like the Earth University. I
2: I totally agree with you. Thank you. Um, It was interesting yesterday hearing the conversation with the interns and you and, and... And I I was fascinated because it it was really, I I can imagine going through the system being, you know, or in the system coming here wanting to experience things, but it's a bit of a shock, I think, at the same time for people who haven't been in that kind of a learning environment situation. And I was thinking about that and I was wondering how, I mean, how how has that been for you, having people come in and from such a different place, not really able to find their way very easily.
1: Well, you know, every every time I come, it's Mm. a different group. Just like every time I come, there are different plants, there are different seasons, (laughs) there are rises at a different height. So I'm so used to the diversity Mm. and dynamics of change and the dynamics of different groups. Uh, This particular group is very mechanical,
2: Mm.
1: extremely mechanical. I've just taken a walk around the farm and I'm looking at the fact that every nice rice nursery has grown to a different height, even though it was a similar looking rice grain that was planted at the same time. Now, my first question would be, why is this one tall and this one short? Why is this one root shooting up so fast? And the shoot is so small. I mean, those would be the way. But their mechanical training made my, them look like, why is the nursery one but foot by one foot, you know? Because a mechanical education shapes a mechanical mind. And a mechanical mind has come out of Descartes' thinking that, you know, what can be measured exists and what can't be measured doesn't exist. So life can't be measured. Life is. Quality can't be measured. It is experienced. And measurement has then made people look for that which can be measured. Uh, So this particular group that is here was quite, obviously, quite heavily into that. I also noticed that it was quite heavily kind of a patriarchal response because um, it wasn't the women. Um, And on the other hand, I've had groups who have come from universities, who are PhDs in mathematics, and yet they have the innocence of exploring. And they don't try and reproduce their learning If they've taken the leap to come to a place like this for learning, then they learn. They're not trying to impose their assumptions. So it's different for every person. It's different for every group. Somehow the dynamics of this particular group built into a patriarchal, masculinist, mechanical mode of searching for knowledge. And I was inviting them to say, you're missing a lot if that's what you're searching. Uh, Because I have intentionally not cultivated the mechanical here. Whether it is the mechanical in the way we relate to the soil that why we still have plows, even though the system has made it so difficult, um, you know, uh, animals are difficult to get. People who learn know how to work with the animals is such a special skill to work with the animals. Mm. Um, and at every level, we've we've tried to avoid the fossil fuel,
2: yeah.
1: uh, industrial mechanical mode, yeah. and. Um, and shift to uh, e- exploring and experimenting with the ecological, whether it's the ecology of the mind, or it's the ecology of how we grow food, or it's the ecology of how we build community. Mm. And that's another another point I made when someone said, and the senior management. And I said, but there is no management. I'm not a manager. I'm a D manager I'm not an intellectual. I'm a de-intellectual, you know? Um, mm. So uh, I- I'm trying to shift the categories. Mm. Um and sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. And those who, who are more open go away
2: mm-hmm.
1: richer mm-hmm. and can take their lives further with the new openings and the new possibilities. Because in effect, what the Earth University is doing is saying, so many possibilities. The possibilities to think differently and therefore there are possibilities to act differently the diff- possibilities to be different. Mm-hmm. And that's the main reason. We're not teaching tools. Mm-hmm. Which you can also learn, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're not saying, you know, pick up the shovel, take it this way, put it this way. Uh, no, I mean there there are too many places where you can learn that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, that's
2: that's really helpful. Do you, do you want
0: to ask anything else? Yeah, um just a couple of things picking up from Are months. you okay? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. But let's start let's
0: hurry. Up. yeah. Um the well maybe this would be a nice way to wrap up but the quote that you said yesterday from Tagore about yeah. the difference between the Western learning, learning yeah. And, and, yeah. and from the East. I wonder if you could expand on that a bit for us and and then within that to I mean, I know you've been talking about that throughout, uh, but to say about this kind of shift to learning from nature itself.
1: Sure, yeah. You know, my two very big inspirations for making my own life shift have been Gandhi who taught us a number of things. First, that the earth has enough for everyone's needs, but not for some people's greed. And so to create a, uh, an economy of justice and sufficiency and enoughness is very much part of Navanya's work. The second thing that for me is so important is Gandhi taught us, Satyagraha, the fight for truth, that uh, when there are unjust and brute laws, in fact, you have an obligation to not obey. Uh, you're not being a lawful citizen by obeying
2: mm.
1: unlawful laws um, because they're higher laws. And these higher laws are the laws of the universe, the laws of our humanity, the laws of the earth. The second person who in my learning and teaching style has been very important is Rabindranath Tagore, the Nobel laureate of literature, who started the University of the East in Shanti niketan Shanti Niketan means the place of peace. And in a very important essay that has shaped so much of my own thinking, uh, it was called Tapovan, Living in the Forest. Uh, he gave it in Chicago and he says, the West has had its learning from bricks and mortar because the universities, the first thing you do in a university is build buildings and then enclose the students in bricks and mortar. And he says, learning in India has evolved from the forest. Our sages moved into the forest and learned from the forest and brought that teaching back to society. In the forest there is diversity. In the forest we learn the lessons of democratic pluralism that everyone, every species has its place. And overall, the role of society, the role of the forest, the role of the earth community is to create space for everything. The bird that's flying here in the mango trees, the turmeric that's glowing, growing below the mango tree, that these are all elements of coexistence. A coexistence that comes with a natural unfolding of each species sovereign and self organized, but not sovereign in isolation but sovereign in interaction. And a Chilean scientist, Maturana and Varela, have said the same thing about allopoietic and autopoietic systems. Um, so in effect, the Earth University is based on Tagore's principles of learning from nature. That if we really want to understand the Earth, we've got to make the nature, living nature, our teacher. And, and so very often when some visitors will say, when do we have the class? The class is all over. This is the class. And the teacher is the voices of nature which you can hear if you allow silence and quiet to not drown it out. A very important aspect of the Earth University is the Grandmother's University. Now, just like the Earth University is in classes every day, get into a building, get a faculty, get a lecture, but it is a permanent learning space with the diversity of change, sometimes with classes, sometimes with the books in the field, sometimes with the transplanting. And in a similar way, the Grandmother's University is both the permanent learning from our grandmothers as well as the... Congregations that happen at the Earth University. Why do I consider grandmothers, uh, university and learning from grandmothers so important? The first, because they are literally the last remaining reserves in humanity to know the continuity of life. They are the carriers of knowledge of living. It could be a grandmother who survived the war in Europe. But she knew what getting food meant when there was no food around. Creating those tiny little patches of vegetable gardens. Somehow, in the middle of all that bombing. Or it could be the grandmothers of these mountains, or of the Andes, etc. Because the second generation of women have been very influenced by the consumer culture, by commodification, by thinking they don't need to know. You can all. You don't need to know. You can buy. That buying is a substitute to knowledge. And the men of the grandmother's age were already pulled out, whether it was for war or it was the plantations or it was the factories or it was for migration. Uh, and it's the grandmothers who stayed behind to till that little patch of land, to take after, look after the little grandchildren. Um, now, if that knowledge goes and we don't transfer it and hold it and love it and Treat it with care. You can't reinvent it. It's too complex, it's too rich, it's too diverse.
0: Mm.
1: It's too many generations.
0: Mm.
1: You know, they're the reservoirs of generation on generation. And our generation will not be able to reclaim even elements of it Mm. if we let it go.
0: If you want to find out more about the work of Vandana Shiva, there are resources available in the dedicated podcast website and episode at ecoversities.org. This website also has information about other ecoversities and the work of the Ecoversities Alliance. This podcast was produced and edited by Jack Haskell. Music included is composed and performed by Bruce Miller and Jackopotamus.